Hello there, and welcome to Creatives in Conversation, a podcast series created by myself, visionary artist Roberto Pachal. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with my inspiration, wife, dog groomer, and best friend, Laura Pachal. Doing pretty well. So this is obviously the uh, the strange thing about this conversation is that I'm actually speaking to you, my wife. Yeah. Where I was talking to you before about how how is it going to be me talking to you? We talk all the time. <laughs> exactly. We always, we talk at the dinner table all the time. We talk every day. Yeah. But funny enough, when it's put into a context where it's a podcast, mm-hmm. then and there's all... you know cameras and lights and. Just becomes, You're conscious every word is on record. It's it becomes very strange. Completely different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I brought a load of notes because I didn't want to put any pressure on you in terms of you saying anything or me asking you questions, mm. just having a conversation um, and hopefully using this opportunity to like, talk about the podcast in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I've been thinking a lot about um over the past year is actually how I've changed my approach in my artist, artistic practice. So in particular, the podcast is something very new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've written a note here on my last year's reflection was, uh, I guess, I guess the statement that would sum up last year was just do it. Yeah. Um, so starting something that I never knew where it would go, how it would end up and that kind of thing. And, um, Were you inspired by my attitude to life? Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe <laughs> a little bit. Um, I guess I apply that to my life, not in the artistic sense, but just in a general sense. Just do it. I'm a doer. You're a doer. Like yes. Get things done. We've said this before, and we like that. I guess in general, we're both doers. Yeah. We just do things. Yeah. You're um, focused more on a certain. You're more tunnel vision than I am, I think. That's to true. Your art. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely yeah. true. Well, um, but I think the difference is that, um, so we've got the dogs in yeah, the podcast. Yeah, our as dogs well. are going to interrupt us to so, the end, I'm sure. Yeah, this is obviously. They're very needy. <laughs> yeah, this is something that we are able to usually contain because usually. I'm usually segregated off in a room somewhere with the dogs with something muffling the sound of the outside so that they can't react to every noise in the street. Yeah, so anybody who's watching can see the dogs or see a glimpse of the dogs. To, We've got uh, Jeffrey and Juno. So Jeffrey's a, um, like a gingery dash hound and Juno is also a dash hound but she's black and tan. Yes. Um, so they're very much a part of this podcast. No. That's too much apart. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we can't contain them, so they're going to be here. And I they, think they're better behaved getting their attention. Yes, like if this. they just stay on our laps, then it'll be okay. <laughs> so what was I talking about? And they have the cute fucker that keeps people watching. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yes. Um, that we're both doers. Yes. But, but what I was going to say was, is the difference is, I feel that maybe I'm a little bit more chaotic in mm. my just do it, yeah. and you're a little bit more methodical you literally just do it i literally just do it you don't think before you do it i kind of like to plan it in my head a little bit more yeah um so for example decorating the house you know you'll just 
open the paint and get cracking before I've even put down the dust sheet or stirred the paint or even sanded the little bit down. You're already painting. And that I think that's, you know, how you push your artistic practice forward as well. You literally just have an idea and you just do it. Because it's better to just do it and see what happens than to just always ponder over it and never know how it'll turn out. I think I think that's a, that's really one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last year, which is if you do just do it, things can just happen, mm -hmm. and things do happen, and really good things happen. Um, but and even if nothing good happens, you learn something. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think I think the the thing that I, I really wanted to talk to you about was organization, mm -hmm. because I feel like this is a natural ability that you have, mm -hmm. which is to to be organized, mm -hmm. and do th do things, but. As, as we said before, in a methodical way, mm -hmm. and you're able to not only do it, but it to be done well. Mm. So a lot of people will say like, oh yeah, I'm quite organized. Like I am organized. Like I've never had to learn it. I just, I want to do it. I like my life organized. Like I've said to you before, like you can ask me, where is this object in our house? And I'll be able to tell you immediately. And I think, um, something that we heard i think was jordan peterson say like it's great to to do everything in your house yourself and inspect every little inch of it paint it clean it whatever you might be doing because then you've kind of got this mental catalog mm. and yeah. just for me personally that keeps my mind calm to know where everything is so you'll have the odd time where you the other day were looking for a specific art tool and you know you've got it in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and uh you obviously i said you can borrow mine and i knew exactly where it was straight away yeah and and this is obviously something that um that i'm starting to realize now and i was actually thinking a little bit about how maybe there is something in because you know i know other artists who are quite chaotic mm. in their own thinking and, and i think it's a cliche though isn't it maybe. for artists to be chaotic splash and paint here oh i want to quickly do that bit of clay oh i quickly want to draw this down oh i've had an idea quickly grab this but maybe it does go hand in hand with being an artist maybe something you need an element of that yeah i, th I think I, th I think there's maybe is something in the nature of being an artist that that um yeah that there isn't i guess as much of a structure sometimes and that's that's what makes great art is that you're not sort of because you're waiting for that moment of inspiration you might you never know when it's coming. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, but I think now my realisation is that there's a real value in learning just at least the very basics of being organised so that you're able to you're able to take full advantage of opportunities and and you haven't got you haven't got stumbling blocks in mm -hmm. the way that of your own doing, mm -hmm. which is like like the thing of where's my where's my line or cutter? Yeah. I don't know where my line or cutter is. Um, so then that wastes time. So that wastes time, yeah. So, it's, so, so I guess the word is efficiency, isn't it? About like becoming more efficient. Yeah. An organisation is just something that, uh, I guess, yeah, you, you kind of have to give it some forethought. Mm -hmm. But once it's there mm -hmm. and once the pattern's established, then you're able to I do things the, quicker. The more you, you put it into your life, I think the more I've enjoyed being organised and I've realised that it has more benefits. Mm. than disadvantages and it's just a trait that 
many people over the course of my life have said it's like the first thing they notice about me whether it's acquaintances clients everybody uses that word mm. it's the first word they describe me as it's gosh you're organized so you mentioned clients there can you uh, explain to people what it is that you what you do for a living uh yes i, I have my own dog grooming business um, so I had a shop, well, I trained, uh, how many years ago now? Six years ago, nearly six years ago. Um, did my training and then I worked for someone else for about a year and a half to get a little bit of experience. I mean, you always knew I wanted my own business one day. Um, but being organised, I didn't want to go into it blind and not knowing how to deal with every possible situation or outcome or so I wanted to get loads of experience and then I opened my own shop for a few years and um, recently since, well, all the lockdowns and working from home became normalised, I, I now work from home. Yeah, and I know, I know that that's, a, that's been a big journey for you in terms of, I guess, having people coming to the home instead mm. of going to the shop and that kind of thing. Yeah, but stops what... that separation. In my head it was like, right, I work here and I live here, but now it's all in one so it's yeah it's 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 a different way of working mm -hmm. but what i was going to say was i think that uh you've been able to because of that organizational level mm -hmm. you've been able to kind of seamlessly well seemingly seamlessly yeah move into that yeah sort of different way of work maybe that's the key to looking organized is behind the scenes i'm scrambling to get everything done and obviously i got a building to work from and i had a designer and liaise with the company and I had to sit for days and pick where I wanted everything in it and but you know to other people it just appears mm. and it's all shiny and new and nice and neat. Well it, it doesn't come across that way that you're scrambling at all but I guess something that I was thinking about was um, I guess for, for someone who's creative who wants to become more organized but doesn't want to lose that chaotic edge to them where they can be creative mm -hmm. What, what I was thinking about was, I guess, the organisation of your time. Mm -hmm. So when is it that you're allowing yourself to be creative? When is it that you're, you're prioritising, you know, organising your, your space and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. uh, and something something that I've recently tried to start doing, and I know other people have started doing as well, which is looking at your calendar and seg like going through your calendar, looking at, okay, you know, we all work in some way, so we're going to have to segment those days into every day, right, or, or whatever days that you work. Put those segments in, right, I'm doing six hours there, and then after that, you know, I might need to travel home, I'll need to eat, mm -hmm. I'll need to do some cleaning, whatever. and just, I guess, once you start filling in your diary and your calendar mm -hmm. and seeing what's left over and then finding, finding out what it is that you want to do anyway, mm -hmm. You know, you know me, I've got loads of projects and trying to, I guess, uh, what would it be like, schedule where you're going to do those things. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to do several projects, then you're able to sort of chip away each one mm -hmm. in a quite methodical and organised way, mm -hmm. as opposed to whatever the opposite is, which is just whenever you get a moment and not being able to find your, your tools and, yeah. and uh, not really being realistic in terms of what you can achieve in that time and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so so that's that's very much what i've been thinking about in terms of segmenting time mm -hmm. but something as well which i think is overlooked that 
that we have in our home, which is completely down to yourself, which is just spaces. So mm. can you explain a little bit of how you organise spaces? Um, I kind of like to segment spaces into having a purpose. So downstairs we have kind of one big long room, which obviously before we put any of our things in it, you could have broke it up. Well, what we did was I broke it up into sections so that this bit of the room has this purpose, this bit of the room has this. So we've kind of got a space where we live. So like a sofa where we relax and do we do your art on there sometimes. And, and then in the middle, we've kind of got a dining space, which just has our dining table where we eat our dinner every night. Um, and then we've got like our, I would say half of the room is a creative space. Uh, it's got some, you know, record player, music equipment, and then, you know, all of our art art supplies. Um, and, and I like having each space kind of labelled as a different thing, because when you come into that space, I think it sets your mind into, right, well, if I'm sat here, it's time to be creative. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's definitely, yeah, in, in terms of rooms, that's definitely happened as well. But even on a sort of even smaller scale, mm. like for yourself, the organisation doesn't stop. It kind of no. keeps going even to the point <laughs> where you're opening a drawer and then the drawer segmented oh, yes. into little spaces for yes. certain things. That was a little bit inspired by the Marie Kondo show that we watched where she likes to put little boxes in the drawers so that I don't like opening a drawer and you've got to rake through all the stuff and think, is it in this drawer or is it the other one? Kind of like it all in so i guess it's all organized into sections and then subsections yes it's a bit like you know your folders on the computer you have a folder and then a folder within a folder my folders are just your desktop chaos. is just a whirlwind of it icons <laughs> and you're totally right in terms of like how it sets your mind because i dread going on the computer and looking at the folders because i'm like Where's that thing? And I know at the moment I've got I've got an artwork that I want to put onto my website. It's a performance piece I did mm -hmm. um, back in 2012. And I um, I found the video. I've got the video. Well, I didn't find the video. I got in touch with someone who made the video, managed to get the video. I've made the, made the page. But I'm just looking for this photograph. There's this one photograph of the performance that isn't in the video. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I feel needs to be in it. So you it know needs, what's in there somewhere. It needs to be on that page. <laughs> it needs to be there because it's it's a it it just sums up the performance yeah. in one image. And yeah, so I'm so looking you know what's on, on there. Somewhere. Well, I'm looking on one computer, I can't find it. I'm looking on another computer, I can't find it. Looking at you know um, online drives, I'm I'm looking all over the place for this image and I can't find it. But if it just been a case of this is where I'm putting it. It's organised, it's there, my mind is clear. I guess it's been organised from the very start helps as well. Yeah. So back when you made that artwork, if you had a hard drive specifically for this project, then you'd always know what's on there. And this is, sorry, this is my main point, mm -hmm. which is at the beginning of taking taking myself seriously as an artist or anybody else taking themselves seriously as an artist, I feel like the, the, the one thing that everybody needs to get and it doesn't even need to be an artist thing mm. just in general like to make your life easier just no matter what you do, figure no. out a system of yeah. being organized because 
as soon as as soon as you do that, it just starts to become a lot easier to yeah. do everything. So you, you're going to buy easy. it to all things, all all careers, all hobbies, all situations of life, like whether it's just keeping your home organised, mm. just for the sake of your sanity. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, as we said before, like. There obviously is a stereotype in terms of creative people and being mm. a little bit chaotic, mm. and that tends to spill over into the rest of their lives. And 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 you know, I I have no measure in terms of whether you know that has a benefit in general of being a, being a creative person or being mm. an artist um, to, to to them doing what they need to do. But but for me, what I'm starting to notice is that there's they're starting to become less of a benefit of just being chaotic all the time mm. uh, because there's so many opportunities you don't... Because I guess if, if you're not organised at all, then you're not going to find a time to sit down and look for opportunities to apply for. Mm. You're not going to um, sit down and go, right, okay, I've only got half an hour. What can I achieve? I and think prioritize. that's what I noticed is if you are organised, then you, you waste less time trying to get to that point. So I think the thing that spurred me on the most and maybe kicked it into high gear was when I got started my own business and I realised, right, nobody's doing anything for this business except me. I'm doing all aspects of it. I am social media, I am accounting, I am running the, I'm answering the phones, I'm doing the job, I'm doing all of it. Um, and I felt like it was kind of holding me back not to be organised because I'd need to do this thing and I couldn't get it done because everything else wasn't done before that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's made me realise the importance of it in general as well. And it, 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 yeah, all those elements of it, like make it important, especially for like a business um, or anybody who's wanting to take themselves seriously in, in any sort of endeavour where other people are going to be involved, like clients mm-hmm. or people interested in buying your work or, or or even people wanting to collaborate with you. So being able to present yourself in such a way so that you're taken seriously mm-hmm. because the more organised you are, the more people are going to go, I want to work with this person. Yeah. No, even, no matter what capacity that's in. Like my this biggest per- fear as a client asking me something, I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like I like to be prepared for all possible eventualities. Yeah, I mean, there is a value of being honest. And I, give, yeah, I, I guess it gives that sense of professionalism as well. De- but definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, and one thing that I've noticed when when doing this podcast in particular is uh, is because I guess from in, from the initial point of trying to find people to to speak to and people who'd be interested in collaborating, uh, what I'd do is I'd, I'd obviously get in touch with them and... You know, I'd, I'd see what 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 they were already putting out there into the world, and you know, everything's online now nowadays. And mm-hmm. having having the opportunity to go onto somebody's website or go onto somebody's social media or that kind of thing, and seeing how they're presenting themselves online, gave such an insight in terms of how the, how they're taking themselves professionally yeah. and how like it's not necessarily the entire judge of a person's practice and that kind of thing, you know, what they present online. But it did seem to tell me a lot about, you know, where they are in their artistic practice. How much they intend to be an artist. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the title. blunt truth of it, isn't mm-hmm. it? Which is, like, if, if we were looking at it really uh, stubbornly, we'd go, right, if a person's 
an artist and they've got a website and they've got the CV up there and they've got a lot of exhibitions. It doesn't even have to be a complicated website. No. It just has to look polished and look like there's a few hours work on anyway. Yeah, and there's Rather the than time. just chuck a few images on there and forget you've even got the website and just, oh, I'll update it next month. Oh, I'll work on it later. I think just spend that few hours, just make it look nice, mm. neat. And then I think people will look and go, okay, mm. this is not us. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a friend who's saying, you know, he was saying to me, reduce the friction in terms of, somebody trying to purchase your work mm -hmm. so i mean I, i'm a complete culprit of this mm -hmm. and you know uh, culprit i don't know if culprit's the word but i'm complete like um fall into that category of i have work i could sell work uh and you're i've got a website and i just haven't put it anywhere i tell you this all the for time. That opportunity to i know happen. you hate social media <laughs> I haven't told anyone that, and that wasn't something I wanted to get out of the bag. But uh, I guess okay, you have an aversion. <laughs> I have an aversion to social media. Yeah, you have a low tolerance for it. Even if you do join it for a few days, you're ready to put it in the bin. <laughs> so I'm always saying to you, well, you know, get your work on Instagram, get your work on TikTok, get your work on, just get it out to all these eyeballs. Get it seen. Yeah. Get it seen by people. Because if it's not out there, nobody knows you exist. Exactly. But either way, like opportunities That's for people, how people to people shop these days. Yeah. It's just the way of the world. Everyone's at home. Nobody really you're allowed to go to the shops now, but I don't really want to go. So I'm more inclined to buy stuff online too. And that's that's the that's the trend now, isn't it? Which is everybody's looking at the screens more often. Mm -hmm. Um and and those are the, those are people's worlds at the moment. Mm -hmm. So so as yeah. As much as you want to keep it traditional, it'd be nice. You know. You can sense my resistance now, can you? <laughs> Which is, I don't want to go on TikTok. I've offered, I've offered <laughs> to be a social media. Right. Okay. And so you said this in front of uh, whoever's listening. So um, <laughs> you could create my social media. I'll do your content and manage funny. my social media. Yeah. Um, because. Yeah, it doesn't work. And maybe that's the key. Just adds to my list of social media because I have business socials. I have one for the dogs. <laughs> you know, what's one more? Yeah. But I mean, you know, back to the original point. Yeah, like even even if I wasn't to use social media, <laughs> even if I wasn't to use social media at all and I was, you know, I had my website and I had a place for people to at least go add to basket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's a, such a simple thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm presenting work onto uh, onto my website, and there's there's no way of making it sort of monetized, which mm -hmm. you know isn't the be all and end all making things monetized. But I think to be realistic in the world that we're living in, that there needs to be an element of that, or some way of funds coming in to your practice. Yeah. Um, you know, without the feeling of you know feeling like you've sold yourself down the river or something. You just want something to come out of it. All the hours you put into making the works, which I can vouch for, <laughs> you uh, you know, be nice for them to go to a collector or a home where they're appreciated or a space where they can be displayed. Mm. Um, get your name out there, get your work out there. I get mean, it, get it shown. Yeah, it's it's definitely right, and and finding finding a a way of kind of just putting your your work out there more often, and and yeah, that's probably. Social media is definitely something to 
to look into. And but but for me, I I felt like with doing this podcast, the big thing that I found as a person who's not using social media, there are other people who don't use social media. Um, the benefit of having a website, mm-hmm. I feel, kind of tops everything because it's it's not in a cul-de-sac. It's not in uh, you know an inter an inter an internet space that isn't accessible to everybody. Yeah. Because, you know, if I'm trying to look on somebody's Instagram and I don't have in, an Instagram account, I can look so I far. Can look so far, it'll kick me out. Yeah. Um, I do agree websites are necessary for an artist because um, obviously you've got the element of being creative on your website as well. You can design it to look however you want, whereas Instagram and Facebook, you're stuck in this you know system and these certain that box has to be there and that has to be there and that has to be a square so at least you can customize it and that's that's probably one of my biggest aversions to it which is it's it's framed under the platform the Mm -hmm. platform frames your work so you know no matter whose work you're looking at it's on a platform Mm -hmm. it's on that platform and so, and I also have this underlying thought every time you upload. Then I've heard that the rights of the image go to that platform. So, that's is that the best thing you want for the images of your artwork? That's yeah, another element to it, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's something that I don't I don't want to think about too much. And uh, but 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 yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something to consider. Definitely, mm-hmm. uh, I did write down some notes for some of the podcast. Well, all of the podcasts. That I've done, yeah, um, and I've kind of tried to sum up something that I've learned in each podcast. Okay, um, and if anything, looking back now, I kind of see that with speaking to each creative person, there's been something that I've taken away which has become absorbed in my own practice, mm-hmm. um, and I don't like I don't like the thought of thinking that I'm stealing anything, but it's. Great ideas, and I, and I know um, Michael Moore did a did a whole film on stealing the best ideas of, of Europe because yeah. he's an American and yeah. he's going going to Europe and stealing all their great ideas and bringing them back to America as, as a good thing, you know, something to come out that's good. I do think there's an element of that's why we listen to podcasts, is that why we watch documentaries? Is you want to just take away that one snippet or that one phrase or that one quote, and I feel like. I listen to podcasts and I'm like a sponge and every podcast I finish, I think, right, what what's that one little bit I can absorb and that it can become part of the way I see, not that I don't want it to be, but things that really resonate with me and, you know, can add to the way I look at life and improve my life and see life in a different way and a better way. And, and I think that's what's great about podcasts is that, yeah, you're having an hour long conversation with someone. But you just get that one perfect quote or that one perfect line that makes you go, wow, mm. like never thought about it like that. And it sticks with you. And I think it sticks with you because it's meant to and it's something that is going to benefit you going forward. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And yeah, part of, part of you know, the reason I started the podcast was that I wanted to learn some things. I wanted to, I guess, see what other artists were doing because I'm really interested in what the artists do. And every time I've had a conversation with an artist, you know, just offhand, it's always been the most interesting conversation I've had. And mm-hmm. I, you know, a part of me is always like, I want to, 
I want to like record that and I want to put it out there and you know let it let the conversation keep going in whatever direction it goes in even if it doesn't continue a conversation between people but like as you say there's a little something from that podcast that sticks with you mm -hmm. and I have to be honest, I found that that has happened with every single podcast that I've done. Something yeah. that they have said yeah. has stuck in my mind. I never mind. feel like it was a waste of an hour or two hours or three. There's always something. And uh, obviously, I've got loads of time to listen to podcasts doing the job I do because I'm just, you know, pottering around in there on my own and there's no one to talk to. So as soon as I get going, I put in my headphones and I pick a podcast and mm. I just think, well, how better could I use my time you know, better than standing in complete silence, I might as well learn something or hear someone mm. else's opinion or perspective. Or, and I think that can't do anything negative to your life. Is to like to hear these these perspectives. It's it's great to learn how other people see the world. I completely agree. I completely agree. What I'll do is I'll go through the the notes that I've written. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just try and give a little bit of a summary, just in case there's anybody that out there who hasn't listened to any of uh, the podcasts that, that, you know, the conversations that I've had with other people yeah. um, and see if there's something that maybe catches their ear. Mm -hmm. um, so the first person that I, I, I did a podcast with, I actually did two podcasts with, with Richard Bliss. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an artist and a tailor. And uh, I did two podcasts with him because that was the biggest lesson that I learned <laughs> was, oh, um, it didn't work, yeah. you know. Something didn't work, and that goes it's back to. It's best to learn that on your first one, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, and and so I'm. I feel really. Um, I don't know what the word is. Grateful. Mm. I feel really grateful that that Richard agreed to come back and do do the conversation yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so his his work was very much uh, around. Well, he's a tailor, so his work involved sort of workshops in public spaces. Um, and he had a particular interest in working with young males or just males in general and talking about gender mm -hmm. um, and using the, I guess, what you could call the common third of creating a shirt or creating an item of clothing um, that kind of is used to, to start that conversation around gender. Um, and I really like that conversation because it started to unpick a little bit about you know, the, the things that people talk about in terms of uh, toxic masculinity, which is something that's, you know, it, it's a term which, you know, gets a lot of people's backs up. But mm -hmm. I think through having conversations uh, and realising what it means, you start to realise that maybe it's not the best way of labelling it. But it but, needs to be spoken. But about. it needs to be spoken, which is, and the way I understood it was about... Um, the male tendency to avert, avert to violence mm. or avert to aggression and that kind of behaviour. And I just I absolutely love the conversation I had with Richard Bliss because it, it started to really unpick that. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a sense, what I really took away from Richard Bliss was um, to, to make your own clothes and to use that as an avenue to... And this is the <laughs> thing, like, this is the first Maybe podcast that, I did. Yeah. I had um I had this uh a fleece this black fleece I'd done a little bit of stitching in it I don't know the, the stars aligned in somewhere I had a conversation with Richard Bliss he you, was doing you were just already that. thinking about it yeah from the roots of your heritage because mm. that's so, what they do yeah yeah so the Sardinian heritage there's um there's a 
there's an old tradition where where um, women would make one dress. Well, it wasn't of... wasn't dre- I don't know if it's dress, but they make like it's usually a vest mm. or an item of clothing anyway, and they um, embroider into it the whole lives, and they'll yeah. wear that every day. And uh, I just thought it's beautiful. It is it's beautiful because it's, it's completely unique. Every every stitch is from her hand and you know it, it represents them as a person and it's their design it's it, it's their another, identity it's another way of yeah showing their identity through through their clothes yeah and so so obviously i had the conversation with richard bliss off camera and off recording he encouraged me to keep doing it mm-hmm. and i have just kept doing it mm-hmm. um so that's definitely the thing i wanted to to take away from that which is yeah, like experiment with making your own clothing and, and play with that part of identity because, you know, you just don't know where it's going to take you. It's, mm-hmm. it's so interesting. It's so interesting. And it's something that I'm committed to keep keep doing as time goes on. And I find it interesting to watch it grow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's always been my intention in terms of the podcast and wearing it every time. So you can see it develop, and not just for other people seeing it, but seeing for myself, seeing yeah. over time, seeing it develop. Mm-hmm. Um so the second person I talked to was Padma Rao, mm-hmm. and um, she works for the um, Sangini organization. And she does a lot of work with, like a lot of creative workshops with um, women from, I guess, displaced communities. So uh, she was talking talking about working with ladies from Bangladesh. Some of them weren't able to speak English, um, but she found that through, through this process of creating and, and using drawing, um there was a conversation around identity but there was also a conversation ar- around i guess transcending communication mm-hmm. and Bridging uh, that gap, isn't it? yeah and i got a real sense that there was there was um an element of trauma being mm. discussed as well which is i guess for one being displaced from from where you grew up either because of traumatic events anyway yeah um but but as well as that like the workshops that I that, that I heard Padma talk about gave me a sense that it was about reconnection mm-hmm. and reconnecting people together, people yeah. who are displaced. And, and, you know, Padma was talking to me in the context of the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. particularly at a time where we were all, we were all in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but yeah, her organisation was continuing to, to reach out to people. And for me, which is something I've always been interested in, uh, but what the work that Padma's doing in the Sangini organization is is illustrating the power of the creative process psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, really inspired me. And it's probably probably the first time that I'd had a conversation about creative arts where I was really on the close of, like close to tears. Yeah. Like I was I was thinking oh, this is so powerful, this mm-hmm. this stuff that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, absolutely. Having a big impact on definitely definitely yeah um so yeah i mean i wish the best of luck to to her organization to to, to that organization and um hopefully you know the creative arts can continue to be used to to bring people together yeah Yeah. i think that's a big core thing about what art is as well in general isn't it it's bringing bringing people and minds together Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. so the next person i spoke to was uh chris alton and I, I met Chris Alton uh, at the Zabladovich collection. Uh, I attended a masterclass with with him in uh, February 2017. Um, yes, 2017. And uh, 
I really liked his work because it was, it was kind of, I remember, I remember having a conversation with him about uh, fake news yeah. and because uh, he had one piece uh, which was basically, I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know whether it would be called a performance piece or um, it was an art piece of some kind because basically he, he had a group of musicians um, become a band called Trident mm -hmm. and then sing songs about um, who was, was a conservative politician I believe it was if I remember I'm so sorry Chris I'm remembering this wrong but uh, basically it was uh, an individual who was using tax havens oh, okay um, and all of the music was around I guess Exp Laundering money yeah, and, yeah. and uh, corruption. Yeah. It was a really it was about corruption of, of you know certain individuals who are using loopholes to to move money around. Mm -hmm. And uh, this this band, he, you know, he made it seem really believable. There was a there was a documentary. Uh, so there was a guy talking about this band from whatever period of time and how they'd done a, a musical tour to all these places in the in the world and they were all tax havens. <laughs> okay. Uh, and. But my first ever sort of encounter with Chris's work was actually, I don't know if I'm remembering it right, but it must have been college or university um, typing in EDL into the internet. And the first thing popping up was English disco lovers. Right. So instead of it instead being of the, instead of it being the, the, what you call the, the fascist group, the um, English Defence League, which is you know it's a very unpleasant group. It's yeah. full of violence and, and such. But but uh, but his was almost like trying to become the contrary to that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know he's really informed. Chris is really informed in terms of the history of disco, um, and I guess it's political. Relevance as well. You can imagine it would uh, irk the actual EDL if they heard those words. English disco. <laughs> I can't well, yeah. imagine they are fond of going to discos. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't say per person. But I thought what was really interesting as well was that he was creating situations which uh, directly, I guess, counteracted the political landscape, mm. especially when things are kind of in the far right direction. What do you do to counteract that that isn't threatening mm -hmm. but is effective? Mm -hmm. And I felt like his was, you know, because with his English Disco Lovers project, he's um, got groups of people together and they've they've basically gone to the English Defence League's marches and that okay. kind of thing and, and, and provided a counter, which is quite positive as well. Yeah. So, like, yeah, everybody loves, loves disco, play loud music, all get dressed up in disco outfit. Um, can't and argue with that, really. Can you? you can't argue. <laughs> but as well as that, as I'm talking about it, I've got a big smile on my face. Yeah. It sounds because... You don't have a bad association with disco. No, no. Good time. Happiness and <laughs> yeah. joy and dancing and that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, I really love Chris's work. And it's not just what he... It's not just uh, just that project that he, he discussed with me on the podcast. He he, he went into um, science fiction novels that he's he's reading, um, but some very interesting ones. Not not ones that you'd expect. And in general, kind of his his philosophy as well um, really connected with me. 
Um, so I won't say much more on that. I'll let, let people kind of investigate that a little bit further themselves if mm -hmm. they wanted to. Uh, the next person I spoke to was uh, a guy that I, I knew when I went to university in, in Teesside. And it's Bobby Benjamin. Sorry, and he, because I think we're he's, he's actually got that, quite a um, CV in terms of the space, projects um, that he's set up organization. either by himself or with, puts with on exhibitions, um, among other things. Seems, he um, seems and, to have yeah, a really kind of, good knack at you like working uh, with the emerging connecting to the community and, and drawing so in crowds. And, here, and so you know, Bobby's we, we a really like working with those guys, but then we like to bring people into T-Size and gives a lot of it is about kind of showcasing their work or... You don't feel or in the case of Picasso, baby, just, yeah, you know, yeah. collaborating with those you know, artists good things and building himself, things with them, he, which he also is something I've always been very interested in. Also, that how that I, connects I find, the community um, as well. Working with other artists that excites me and creators about, I, I guess, tends to be the discarded um, object, really good the, the learning process for me to kind of work with another artist, um, and it's something I've always really valued. Going back, I guess, to my time at university. And we really were, we, uh, a small collective I feel like of artists and we opened really an art space, the House like of Blah Blah, about the street, and about the object it was all about kind of working with other people um, and collaborating. And, and we kind of did then I just find that something that really stimulates me of, as much uh, as, discarded objects you know, I enjoy working um, towards a solo. And, and I guess I, I, where, I where we'd like to see the world needs to be a bit more considered and more of a labour of love and spend time with that. And in um, the meantime, Eve Cromwell, we had we had a good discussion about uh, Utopia, uh, and she she uh, described what her imagining about, like, would be of Utopia. The grand um, scheme, a lot of, of orange uh, <laughs> and concrete, which isn't what of, you tend yeah, to expect. I think but, uh, she she's not big um, picture enough. I guess to be like, from the work that I've seen, it sounds like this is what she's starting my to utopia really look like, but maybe pull together an image of what this Utopia could look like. Just a little tiny, um, and details. you know, being quite quite quirky with it as well. It's, a, um, it's interesting. She's talked about because, her um, project with her friend, kind of also about that's Jenny Mac McNamara. Yeah, his work um, is just absolutely fantastic. And they commissioned like a new piece. Oh, what are they called? Uh, to be up in no, no, no. Um, but I'll I guess come back our to interest it. with that kind of. Yeah, it's quite interesting. The mind Jenny's practice is uh, very different, but um, uh, curatorial project. A, a lot of it is, um, yeah, very much about well, space the, the, and thinking about you know, kind of the thing that really gets me going about it. Is kind of like, oh, and then like branching we've got this challenge that we've got like no money, very little. And how can we like put on an exhibition with other organisations, other artists, and that kind of thing? So really exciting work that they're doing. Uh, yep, Jenny Mac McNamara uh, talked talked about neuroaesthetics mm -hmm. and also about her work trying to, I guess, become more inclusive. Um, so sculpture and installation, which yeah, allows people to to see their own things when they're looking at the work. A lot of reflections, lights, lines, um, color. Um, and she did obviously go into a little bit more about the science of neuroaesthetics. Um, it is it is a subject she's really interested in and something I was fascinated with. And, you know, I'd mentioned during the conversation about how, you know, if I look at look at a white wall and close one eye and open the other one and close one eye and open the other one and, and, and rotate between the two, mm -hmm. you can see a slight variation in terms of colour. Yeah. And so when, the red and the blue variation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that has something to do, it taps into... Um, you know, when you go see a 3D film. Yeah, and you've got a red and a blue. Yeah. Well, it creates the sense of 3D, doesn't it? That's mm. the purpose of the 
It's to create a slight bit of contrast mm. so that things appear more 3D when you've got both your eyes open. I it's, think that's the science behind it. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the way that I made sense. And it was like the other day in the car when I had my sunglasses on and I said, I was looking at the sun coming through the clouds and I could see the full spectrum of colour. Mm. But without the glasses on, it was just, I couldn't see anything. So there is things that you can you can only see in certain circumstances. Um, and there's probably things that are around us all the time that we can't see. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I love being able to see those little flashes of the colour spectrum and stuff like that. It just shows there's, there's, there's plenty of little things that you probably haven't noticed before or haven't been in the right conditions to see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jenny you talked about how, you know, if you put one colour next to the other, then they, they tend to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's you know, that, that's the science of neuroaesthetics. And, and, uh, and artists actually have a unique window into discovering a lot of these little nuances mm. in terms of what color looks like next, like what color looks like next to another color, what pattern looks like next to one color or pattern versus pattern. Um, and yeah, we're kind of on the front line in terms it, of seeing that. It stuff. also brings up like, what is color? Because we have the, the color changing lights in a few rooms of the house. And if you turn it to a certain color, you look at something in the daylight that's blue and it suddenly goes black. And then you change the light to a different colour and something that's blue suddenly goes white. And you're like, it just baffles your brain a little bit. And you think, well, what am I actually seeing all the time? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating subject and you can really go deep into it. It's because mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's the nature of what you see mm -hmm. and uh, how that keeps unfolding the more you, more you look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, I realise I've started this, but it's quite a lot of people that I've spoken to. <laughs> so to try and give a little bit of a summary for each person is uh, I'm, I feel like I'm sort of trying to condense what I'm saying about each person. So, <laughs> you know, we have enough time. Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously I want to speak to you as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I also spoke with Laura Yule, who um, she she's an artist who's working in London. Uh, well, I think she's still working in London now. She was when I was speaking to her. Um, and she'd started her own podcast called um, Acid Arrest. Acid Arrest. And uh, and that really consisted of um, going on, I guess, visits to sort of luxury apartments in London. Okay. And, uh, but going with someone, so going with an invited guest and uh, listening to what they're saying. Not necessarily recording that bit, but recording a conversation before and after. And uh, and talking about each of the properties, but it was kind of all with um, with a, with an underlying subject mm -hmm. of, I guess, the contradiction about you know luxury apartments popping up in in poorer estates in London and yeah. who was buying these where people have lost their jobs and <laughs> struggling. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's. It's Fascinate. like they're not living in the real world, these people who are making these luxury apartments. <laughs> well, they must be making it for some reason, but it's it's definitely a topic of conversation, is that these things are juxtaposition, up. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not really what we need at the moment. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and she said, you know, the key word that she said a few times was about the contradiction. Mm. And um yeah, and she, you know, I'd seen one of her one of her little films that she'd made during the time of the pandemic. And all of a sudden, the, the restrictions were lifted, and we were able to go shopping and touch things, mm. even though at the time the science was that 
the, the, the science that was being disclosed was that um, you know that this this virus could sit on you forget all these little stuff. things they were telling us like we used to go get our food in the supermarket and you'd be scared to touch something because the way they framed it was like oh well it lives on the ob- everything for eight hours and you think well god how many people have touched that in the last eight hours exactly and, yeah but now you don't really think about it in such detail mm. and, and, and is it what the film that she made was perfectly kind of illustrating that contradiction, which is mm-hmm. she's going in, and it was only on her hands. Mm-hmm. And she'd go in, she'd go into a shop, she'd do the, uh, do the antibacterial, do that, and then touch things, you yeah. know, touch cushion covers, touch clothing, touch glasses, touch loads, of, touch loads of things, yeah. and uh, and and that, that kind of just summed it up, didn't it? Because it was a like, time capsule video. Yeah, it really was. This it is really, what we had to do. With exactly. <laughs> so we're all wearing masks, but but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, back to that contradiction, and uh, you know, I find it fascinating how she's kind of used different mediums to kind of keep illustrating this uh, this idea, mm. you know. Um, and it really went re- really went back to a, a political kind of um, critique critique. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, um, also spoke with artist Rob Birch, visualized. He works. Uh, it's very interesting because when I looked at his work, I thought it was painting. Mm-hmm. And then when I spoke to him and when I looked a little bit deeper, I noticed that he wasn't painting in the traditional sense. Mm. He wasn't using oil paints, even though that's the appearance that it was giving, but he was actually doing digital paintings. Right. And uh, the, the kind of, yeah, so the artworks that he was doing were of portraits, but using portraits that are already accessible online of, you know, I guess individuals with elements, well, not elements, but people in positions of power mm-hmm. and authority. And uh, he calls himself a visual visual skeptic. And um, he'll, I guess, deface their, fa- deface their image. Because, okay. um, you know, historically, portraiture has been used to, I guess, present. Show someone in the best light. And- yeah in the ideal pose <laughs> and illustrate illustrate an idea isn't it it's trying to depict themselves yeah. in a way that the way they want to portray themselves exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and you know, think of the old you know the old i guess you know historic representations of portraiture who was it it was kings queens duchesses mm-hmm. people of royalty people of power people well, who owned yeah. land yeah you know all these different types of people that these portraits, I guess, were a presentation to the world or to whoever was seeing them, that I am someone... Their importance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so he's kind of using that with his own uh, perspective to kind of, I guess, uh, balance the scales a little bit, mm. provide a little bit of uh, counter-argument, counter... I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah, criticise. Mm. And I, I found if I, but the, the the thing that I really took away from Rob was something that he'd said in another meeting that I had with him, but but he also emphasised in this uh, last conversation, which was be bold and don't be afraid to put yourself out there, um, because you know other people are other people are putting themselves out there, and you know it, it, uh, what I took away was that you know artists and it goes back to this thing as well about just doing it, just do it and. Uh, because 
if if you put yourself in a situation where you know I, I don't dare do this, I don't dare be seen, I don't, and it's something I've noticed when I've approached artists as well. It's like, oh, do do you want to be on this conversation? Have mm-hmm. conversation? It's just a conversation. It can go anywhere it wants to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that pe- people are scared to do it, and I understand. Or people are reluctant or resistant or hesitant or whatever it is, but they feel that they can't do it for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that was a real eye-opener to me. Um, and, and I found that the same for myself as well. Like when I first started, it's like, how do I present myself? Yeah. What do I say? What can I not say? Um, will this come back to bite me one day? Yeah. I've said something. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and there's a lot of fear about, sort of putting yourself out there Definitely. um so the fact that robert said go for it mm-hmm. i kind of thought you know what let's let's go with it yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens and then you'll learn along the way I guess. exactly yeah. exactly yeah so i also spoke with katie watson and um yeah when i first saw her work i thought it was quite minimal mm. and i could definitely see there was a sense of language being discussed like visual language she uses arrows she uses and and i started to understand that actually you know she uses arrows she uses color she uses pattern um and material specific materials and when i spoke to katie she she explained that her artworks are inspired by um i guess instruction manuals and how to put things together and and thinking about ikea and not necessarily just ikea but flat pack put together ready-made yeah. that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and she actually mentioned about her original inspiration which was uh an episode of the simpsons mm-hmm. um where homer simpson is trying to put together a, a barbecue set and uh and he just fails dramatically and and uh he just hasn't hasn't been able to follow the instructions for whatever reason and he ends up you know <laughs> dragging this uh, artwork down the street yeah. and trying to get rid of it and it actually um, ends up some disaster happens but it ends up in an, uh, in an artwork yeah. as, as an artwork as an outsider okay. artwork and uh, becoming quite you know seen and, and sold for whatever money it's, you know so that's the way The Simpsons goes but um, she was just you know amused by this scene of uh, Homer looking at you know what the barbecue set was meant to look like and then pulling it down and see what he created. And then someone else sees value in it. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she, she had this really interesting idea where she was making instruction manuals and then would make the thing and then would make another instruction. So so it'd kind of go around and around. So yeah, so she's then making paintings of the objects. It was very interesting, but I really liked... It's like multi-layered. Yeah, very multi-layered. Very, very multi-layered. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just fascinating what, what she was saying. And, and I guess her methodology as well. Um, but she's also talking about, I guess, what it is in terms of instruction manuals as a form of communication. And what are the symbols that are used in terms of communication? And this is something that I've actually been exploring a little bit as well about, you know, what is... Uh, the very basics of communication. And I know that uh, Katie works with, with individuals with autism and um, doing creative workshops. And I guess, again, um, another testament to the value of, of art with with communities and, and forming connections and, and facilitating communication. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, talking about how, I guess, communication is is not just spoken word, it's not just written language, but it's also action, mm. it's also colour, it's also juxtaposition. I guess action is something you can do before you can even speak. Mm. So, you know, we've been watching documentaries about babies and um, there was a part on that where they were saying that the first one of the first ways they communicate before they can even speak is to point mm. because there's a lot of weight in just pointing at something. And I guess it come, it goes all the way back to when you were a baby and, you know, back generations. You, you did that and your parents reacted and, you know, it kind of makes you go, what, what, what? And it, it's a good way to, to communicate before before you've learned that language. So I guess that goes nicely with arrows pointing. I guess it's a very a very basic way to communicate across, you know, the world. It's universal. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's the the pointing thing. You can imagine, you know, a, a child in India is doing it. A child in Kazakhstan is doing it. A yeah. child in and America is doing it. If you were watching it. them do it, you'd know that they're trying to show you something or alert you to something or they want you to look mm. look there yeah yeah i really loved really loved the work that she's doing um ruben topia now i didn't actually get his surname funny enough but um yeah ruben makes ruben topia and ruben topia is a world that ruben has created um he's he works in the netherlands and uh very very visionary, very psychedelic, very um, sort of multi-layered in terms of historical relevance, cultural, cross-cultural kind of imagery, architecture. Mm-hmm. So he's basically an illustrator that works in drawing mainly, but he also kind of um, made me more aware of uh, NFTs, which is non-fungible tokens. Which is quite a new thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's as new as, I guess, as new as, as long as I've known about it. I guess it's a it. bit of a buzzword at the minute. It is a bit of a buzzword. And, and it's it, it's something, basically an NFT, as far as I understand it, is uh, an artwork which at the moment is mainly digital mm-hmm. and is purchased through, through using cryptocurrency, which is a digital type of currency. Um, Bitcoin, Ethereum... Uh, and I'm sure there's many other types of cryptocurrencies that are used. But what's unique about NFTs, which is something that gives me a lot of hope in terms of artists being, I guess, paid you know, what they're worth at least mm. or more than what they're worth, um, which is whenever, whenever somebody buys an artwork, mm-hmm. obviously the artist gets, gets a cut, yeah. gets, you know, gets what's over to them. Mm-hmm. And then, but any time the artwork is resold, mm-hmm. the, the artist get royalties back like yeah. a percentage that's set you know mm-hmm. and it's it's all done within an algorithm so you know you can't cheat yourself out of the system that kind of thing yeah. and i know damien hurst has also done this as well he's made his own and he's kind of addressed i guess the the issue with some cryptocurrencies is that it's not great for the environment it uses a lot of energy yeah uh, uses to, electricity exactly it uses a lot of electricity and it's not not sustainable mm-hmm. and i know damien hurst is made his own cryptocurrency to try and address that problem and make it, you know, not a problem for the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was really fascinated in, in I guess, Ruben's approach to, 
I guess creating his own world and he, he talked a little bit about his his own condition with ADD which is um attention deficit yes that's right yeah um and and how actually he uses art to kind of um find his bliss find a place of bliss he, he called it golden you know a golden place um and I could definitely relate to that as well in terms of being con- completely absorbed in an artwork mm. and and being in this special place um but i guess the work he's making very much invites whoever's looking at it to do the same thing and, and his nfts some of his video nfts and his animations that he's done kind of do the same thing it's like so he's creating a world and at the same time he wants you to go into that yeah. world as yeah. well um which yeah which kind of yeah makes me think a little bit about escapism mm. and no, we it, have a lot of forms of it, don't we? we yeah. Could say films, TV, games. There's a lot of ways you can get lost in the world, mm. and it's just another nice way and another nice thing to to get lost in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think you know sometimes you hear escapism and you think you know it's not necessarily a benefit to people mm. and that kind of thing. But but I think sometimes it can it really can be a benefit in terms Definitely. of you know giving yourself either some respite from the world. And you know, a place to recharge, but as well as that, reimagining what the world could look like. So mm-hmm. if you're taking yourself away from the world mm-hmm. as a form of escapism somewhere else, mm-hmm. and there's something pleasant about this other world, then what is it that you can take from that world into this world? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, you know, make you know, sh- share share whatever's good about it. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, the, the last person that I spoke to except for yourself, uh, would have been Stuart Mel Wilson. And he's he's an artist that, that works locally to myself. Um, he did talk about uh, his his experience of you know going to university at Goldsmiths University in London. Um, and was quite honest about what his perspective on that was. But I mean, apart from that, what I was really interested in was um was I guess his his approach to drawing in particular and, and trying to I guess bring drawing up to yeah, an acceptable, an accepted form of craft mm-hmm. in of itself, as opposed to drawing all, always being, you know, the starting point. So he's, you know, he's he's talking about how he's mimicking masters by creating artworks of a larger scale and that kind of thing. But one of the things that I really took away from from my conversation with Stuart was, um, I guess the so there's, there's two things really there's the social contract which he talked about mm-hmm. which was uh, a book from the french revolution um i can't remember his name's jean uh rousseau i believe it is um and it's basically this he talked about how it's basically a, a contract that you have with people of authority so the government mm. that kind of thing there is perhaps even an unspecified unwritten social contract with the government that happens um and that everybody has their own line Mm. in terms of what the agreement is with them uh which i found very apt for the time that we're living in at the moment and uh, i I did discuss this with him and it's something that's been playing on my mind quite a lot actually what he was saying um because i think at the moment for creative people it's a very interesting time that we're living in and the, we've got this giant topic. This giant that topic that everyone is going through. It's a global thing, mm. and it's it's like sort of looming over everybody. 
interesting Just to like, see what work comes out of mm. everyone's experience of what's going on right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and you know, it's it's, it's, it's kind of something everyone can relate to. So, if you, if you make a, a body of work and put it in an exhibition, you could arguably have anyone come to that exhibition, and uh, you know, potentially understand or appreciate or really relate to the to the artwork being made because we're all going through the same thing at mm. the moment. Um, exactly. So yeah. yeah, it's probably the time that art could really bring everyone together and everyone could appreciate. Because you, you do hear a lot of people who don't know much about art say, oh, I don't get it. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks nice, but that's about it. But maybe this is a time where artists can make work and everybody can can relate. Mm. Yeah, a fascinating time. And I, I'm, I'm exactly with you in the sense of, you know, where, where will the work go you know mm. where what artwork is going to be created in this time and uh what will that look like and, and what is what is the artist trying to communicate specifically now as well because i mean for myself like trying to stay away from the doom and gloom mm. and try to come back towards the light mm -hmm. you know come back towards something positive something not something that gives you energy yeah um so so yeah that's something that that i'm looking forward to Kind Do you think there's more. any elements of your artwork that have maybe subconsciously absorbed that recently? Um, most likely, most likely. Uh, just the one thing I've noticed is you've started making a lot of work on black. Yes. And I don't know if that's just an aesthetic thing or... Because I felt like you've moved from making a lot of drawings on white paper to you've kind of liked making stuff on black paper, you're making your jacket on, you know colour against darkness and there's that sense of contrast and you've made carvings and the backgrounds have been black and the colours have kind of been a contrast to that and maybe I've spotted a red thread that's kind of going through your work at the moment. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. You are kind of just cracking on and making this stuff that I'm like, oh, okay. Kind of analysing it from the <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe. It's like living in a gallery. <laughs> maybe there's something coming through. Yeah. Mm. Just something mm. that you think about. I'll definitely think about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I wrote down this, um, this statement by Isaac Newton, standing on the shoulders of giants, which okay. is something which, uh, which is something that is actually written on the pound coin, isn't it? Or is it still written? I don't know if it's still written on the pound sure. coin. Used to be. On the old one, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But uh, this term in of itself, I'd heard and thought, well, this, this statement and made me think about the, the podcast, the conversations that I've had. Because as I said before, I feel like I've absorbed so much. And you said yourself as well, when you listen to podcasts, there's always something that you take away each time. Mm -hmm. And that's my real hope is that that's what people will do with this these conversations and and. I'm, I'm hoping that I'll keep encouraging people to, to keep talking about different things, different subjects. Mm -hmm. But for me as well, learning about listening. Mm. So I know in this podcast, in this conversation, I've done a lot of talking, which mm. I'm not used to doing this much talking. It's usually been one side. I felt like I've maybe packed this, this conversation a lot with maybe too many things to say. No, I think it's been nice to reflect on on your first year of podcasting and 
to to hear what you took away from the conversations and the things that stood out to you and yeah it's just a nice way for you to to verbalize you know everything you've enjoyed about the people you spoke to it's nice for me to hear it too well it's interesting that you said that because that was something that wasn't more or less discussed very much in the conversations there was some some people who said during the concert i know i remember chris alton saying the same thing which was actually the artists um and the creative people who were on the podcast had most of them if not all of them had said that they really really enjoyed doing the podcast and how it allowed them to to i guess formulate their own thinking and their own practice mm -hmm. And I know Stuart, Stuart Mel Wilson said the same thing. It helps, helped him really process his thinking. Yeah. Um, and he really advocated for either writing things down or verbalising it, whatever, whatever way you can. Because really, as an artist, how many opportunities do you have to just sit down and speak about your practice to somebody, to a crowd? Like, I don't think you do it that often. You might do it, you know, if you have an exhibition or a, or a solo show. But other than that, when are you really verbalising mm. to the world? Like, this is what I make and this is why I make it and this is what I do. And these are all my ideas. It, it's a nice chance to to get all that out there, mm. I think. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Because otherwise it does just end up in your sketchbooks and on scrap pieces of paper and, you know, typed up on your website. It's, it's nice to, to go into more depth and... You know, for it to, to for you to physically speak it, mm. I think is something you don't do all the time. So you know, yeah, you live a lot in here, don't you? You do. You live a lot in your in your minds. That's completely right. Completely right. So take the opportunity, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of thought a little bit about um, the structure of this conversation, and that was probably an issue. Mm. Was talking about. Well, not just in this conversation, but I guess in general, the, with all the conversations that I've had, there's been a lot of structure. And what I'm hoping to take away in the next uh, conversations that I have is is to to maybe let go of some of that structure and allow it to just flow in whatever direction. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, giving giving you know the the invited artist or guest to to have the opportunity to just you know talk about their work whatever way they want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, one question I've always asked to every participant, yeah. which I'm sure you're aware of because you've listened to the podcast, yes. which is uh, if there's one thing that you could change about the world, what would it be? <sighs> one thing. I think I'm a big advocate for, well, I would like to go back to living in a society where we govern ourselves on a smaller scale. Um, so not necessarily, you know, us all the way up in the north be governed by this group of people down in the south who might have never even travelled to this area. It would be nice for local communities to have more of a say and more of an influence on the way that we live our lives in this area. Um, and I guess there's so many things. Like, I love the idea of kind of living more off-grid. Um kind of going back to the way things used to be like i've listened to podcasts i think russell brand said like our brains are developed to only know 100 people yet we live in a world where we probably know a thousand people and is that like the kind of 
source of a lot of the problems we're having at the minute with you know anxiety and there's a lot of mental health problems and are, are we too communicated are we too linked should we know what people are doing on the other side of the world do, do, do we need to know that so yeah i think taking a step backwards which not a lot of people probably mm. want to do but that's an idea that is quite appealing to me and kind of go back to our roots and grow our own vegetables and appreciate nature and walk outside with no shoes on and kind of get away from this this modern way of thinking like I've said to you I find it quite weird going in the supermarket and looking down an aisle and thinking there's a whole aisle dedicated to these chemicals that kill germs why are we so afraid of these things <laughs> like so yeah um kind of go backwards a little bit <laughs> i kind of think i was maybe born in the wrong era i would kind of like to well i guess we grew up in an era where we didn't have the internet as children um and i think maybe that's been a good thing for us Um, i would be kind of well i can see from relatives that have grew up with internet at a young age what kind of effect that has and i just think we're kind of going closer and getting more and more into that we need to kind of go back the other way so yeah go back to back to the way we used to live a little bit mm. interesting very interesting yeah well thank you very much uh, for having this conversation with me laura I'm sure we'll have many more yeah. off, off recording. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. You put me at ease. <laughs> Overthinking You've it. You've only known me five and a half years. So. Only. <laughs> Good to meet you. Yeah. Again. <laughs> For the thousandth time. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing is having the structure. Yeah. And then going, oh, this is the structure that I'm, I guess, uh, a crutch onto, you know? It's yeah. a crutch for me. Yeah. And then... Uh, Having a conversation with someone that you know is kind of—it's mm. quite. It's a different context, isn't it? Definitely. Meeting yeah. you know, sitting together, because with dogs, <laughs> with our dogs on our laps. Yeah, because I mean, for us to sit here and have a very formal conversation would have been a bit strange, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So maybe you can take that away. How it, how it would be less structured. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you very much. See ya in about two minutes. <laughs> in the other side of the room. Thanks for being on the uh, podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>